Welcome to Virgin Territory, a podcast brought to you by SHIP. Each episode brings you new guests and new topics. We ask all the questions you are dying to know, from dating, sexual education and wellness, to kink, polyamory, and everything in between. Now please welcome your host, Vima Manfredo. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Virgin Territory. We have a very special guest today, uh, a member of our board of directors, Jali. Welcome, Jali. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I am so happy we finally were able to do this. I've been dying to do this interview. Um, so uh, let's start by introducing yourself to our audience so everybody knows how awesome you are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Chanel Jolly Marshall. I am a sexologist. Um, and what that means is I do sex research and sex education and um, just all things sex and sexuality. I also work as an HIV educator for a health system in Northern Virginia and uh, where I do clinician-facing and community-facing education, um, workshops, trainings, uh, also do testing so people can come in and get their HIV tests with me. Um, additionally, I am a PhD student. I am getting my PhD in human sexuality. Uh, this is my first semester, so um, please send good vibes because yikes. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, and yes, I am a part of SHIP's amazing board of directors, um, one of the newer people on there, but it's been an amazing experience so far. Um, otherwise, I live in the D.C. area, um, but I'm from Atlanta. And um, yeah, I guess that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you were up to a couple of months ago, our newest member of the board. Um, since then, we invited Kata to yes. join us. Um, and if anyone listening to us and you're interested to have a role in SHIP, just look us up and we yeah. still have some seats open. So first promo of the day. <laughs> right. <laughs> But it's been amazing having you on the board. You have a wealth of knowledge, um, including that you, like you just said, you just started your PhD career or journey, I should say. Um, that's amazing. Um, I'm sending all of the good vibes to you. Thank you. Thank you. It is um, quite the adjustment. And they tell you that, but you don't really know until you know. So about what, seven, eight weeks in, and it's like, okay, this is, this is a thing. This is yeah. <laughs> that it is, it's definitely a different beast than having your undergrad or even your grad um, mm -hmm. studies. Yeah. Those, the PhD is a different beast altogether. Really is. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your um, topic for your PhD research? So, um, I'm probably going to, they're giving us a little grace there right now. We're in the stage of um, some of us know what we want to um, do our dissertation. And then some of us are still trying to figure out. Um, I have one or two, one of two topics that I would um, like to do. Um, one is my backup plan, which is um, trying to uh, explore black female 
sexuality in music. So just kind of, I'm obsessed with the music. I'm obsessed with all things sex and sexuality. So I was like, while I'm doing this school thing, let me, you know, make this research as fun as possible, right? Um, let me get into the the topics that I really like. Um, but I may pause that and do that for after I graduate. Um, but the research that I've already been working on for some years now is um, essentially learning how women of African descent learn about sex and sexuality. And based on how they learn about sex and sexuality, their attitudes and behaviors towards sex and sexuality. So, for example, if you grew up in a really religious household, that's going to shape how you view sex and sexuality, your sexual self, other people's sexuality, things like that. Um, on the other hand, if you grew up in, you know, on a compound or, you know, like there are all kinds of experiences, right, that shape how we view um, ourselves and other people. So um, it's easy to narrow it down. I identify as a Black femme or Black woman. So it was easy to kind of just pull from my own experiences and the people that were kind of immediately around me. Um, so that is probably what I will um, actually do my dissertation on uh, because I already have a running start and work smarter, not harder. And <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, you could always do that. The that first idea as your pasta postdoc one. Um, exactly. Exactly. So that's why I'm not like upset because I'm like I can always do that, right? Um, but like while you're going through this school thing, I immediately was like, okay, let me just <laughs> work with what I already have going on because this is a lot of brain power. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um that that is going going back to the topic that you actually settled on. Uh it's such an interesting topic because yeah, like you said, the experiences that we have, especially in our formative years, really shapes up what our image will be, at least until you get to a point where you have an experience in your life later in life that keeps reshaping that. But that foundation. Um, in your formative years is very strong. And if it's a negative one, it is very difficult to break. Um, right. and, and you mentioned that you're taking from your own experiences. So can you walk us through what was for you growing up in the in terms of learning about your own sexuality or about human sexuality in general? Sure. So um, I'm an 80s baby and 90s kid. And so I mentioned that because my mom at the time was doing um, like teen pregnancy prevention workshops. That was like really big in the like early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And so she, um, you know, does social work and all kinds of things or whatever. But um, while like my dad was with my sister with her like high school activities, I was like three, four. And so, of course, I had to be watched. So my mom would take me with her to these um, different workshops. And so I knew the proper names for all the parts. Um, she also reinforced that at home. But, you know, I'm listening to these workshops and she would keep me busy by, you know, okay, Chanel, you pass out these pencils to everybody, you know, or here you pass out these papers. So, you know, because <laughs> I was such a busy buy, she knew she had to keep me, you know, 
engaged and I would collect things from people. I knew how to follow directions pretty well. So, you know, um, she knew that I wouldn't like run off somewhere. But in the midst of that, you keep hearing these terms over and over. And of course, at four, you don't know um, maybe what pregnancy is, but there is a way to explain that to a four-year-old, right? That um, will make sense to them at the time. And then you build on to that. So I think that was helpful for me in not being embarrassed by at least like the terminology around sex. Um, That never really bothered me. Um, Also, though, I grew up what I call churchy and we grew up Baptist and, you know, we were in church a lot. And so in church, you don't really hear a whole lot about sex or sexuality. And if you do, you call it healthy relationships. And then more specifically, you call it marriage. And then even more specifically than that, it's a marriage between a cis man and a cis woman, right? It gets very, very specific. And so I think, you know, having that balance of like, yes, I knew I wasn't embarrassed as far as like terminology and like biology, but then there was still that religious kind of narrative where you don't really talk about it. And if you do, eh, you know, there's, there's some sketchiness around it. And I remember being a teenager at church and, you know, I loved my church as a teenager, but one thing I still remember um, is that someone saying like, if you think about having sex with someone that's like you already did. And that's a sin. So where do you, what are you supposed to do with that? (laughs) At 16, you're literally like for a lot of people thinking about sex with somebody, right? Even if it's your favorite musician or movie star or something like that, right? Like you're thinking about some kind of sexual experience during that time. Your hormones are percolating you know, and all kind of things are <laughs> happening. So like to have that message, and I still remember that. I'm 37. I still remember that, right? From being like 16, 15. And so things like that do stick with you. Um, but it, it's just been an interesting journey. Um, I think what has been helpful for me is that um, and I maybe it's the Taurus in me. I am a Taurus. Um, and <laughs> I do things when I feel like it um, for the most part. So I was never really peer pressured into anything. Because if I didn't feel like doing it, then good luck. You know, that was with drinking. That was with sex. That was with anything. And so I did a lot of things, quote unquote, later in life. Because I just didn't, I mean, I didn't want to. Or I saw how it affected my friends and it wasn't pretty. And, you know, like my friends are like crying over boys or doing this, or I saw them drunk or, and it just was like, okay, let me figure out how, if I want to engage in this. And if I do like how I want to do, because this right here is not a good example for me. (laughs) But it was a lot of unlearning. It was a lot of like releasing, um, what I thought I should be um, walking in, you know, what life was set up for me, trying to redefine what that is. So if you ask anybody that I know from back in the day, they would never guess that I would be 
in this profession at all. Like ask anybody. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and they would be like, what? You're what? They would just laugh in your face, I promise. So um while while it started out kind of academic for me in sex research, I think it really like turned into my life's work. Um and in the process I learned a ton about myself. Yeah. And and I have I have to echo what you're mentioning as your life experiences. They're so similar to mine. It's it's mm-hmm. so funny because I had a very similar. My mom was a nurse, so she wasn't doing the classes, but she did have a lot of study books in her house. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, I had all the biological, the mechanics mm-hmm. of sets of um, heterosexual cisnormative sets. Right. I had that down by the time I was six years old. I. Right, I knew, right. That, that the penis goes in the vagina, then it does the thing, and then there's a right, baby. Right, right, right. Like, there was no pleasure mentioned. There was no, you do this for, for fun or for boredom. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. It was for the purpose of making another human. Um, mm-hmm. But the mechanics and, and the names of everything had them to the T by the time I was in elementary but like you said, that shame that came from my bigger social circle of, oh, you only do this with your future husband mm-hmm. and no one else mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And I grew up Catholic. So that's your husband forever, too. Like you have no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, although my father is a divorcee. So uh, <laughs> I don't know how I justify that. <laughs> But it is there's always ways to justify a thing, right? Always. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So having having that dichotomy of like being very open, but only through a very particular narrow lens of what human sexuality is, and then moving through life with that with those thoughts and living, at least in my case, living my life as a Latina woman and having all those stereotypes about Latinas Mm -hmm. instilled on me uh, Mm -hmm. by the society at large, then that's a whole different ballpark. And I imagine it was a similar experience to that you have uh, growing up as a Black woman, having those societal stereotypes imposed on you as well. Yeah, so much comes with just how we walk outside and exist in the world. And for those who do not come from any kind of marginalized group or anybody other than cis white people, I don't think people particularly grasp what that means. And, you know, I grew up in a way that you had to present in a very specific way um, and I think a lot of parents do this because of those stereotypes, right? Mm-hmm. When you walk out of this house, you are representing the family. Your your hair needs to be uh, neat. Your clothing needs to be neat. Don't you act up in these streets. Don't get into trouble. You know, all of these things, right? And so then you become, it, you, you kind of... Um, that seeps into just how you do everything in general. And so then you have to kind of unlearn and figure out what your actual personality is. And I think that's what a lot of my unlearning was like, who am, who am I even? 
you know? And so I think I was just following the rules, which is fine, you know, because as a youth, you know, their rules fine, but we have to allow that space for like personality and it's okay to get messy or it's okay to like mess up and things like that. So I think that was a big part of, of my shaping. Um, And I think also having friends who confided in me about their own experiences was really helpful in me learning about sex and sexuality, because even though I wasn't partaking in anything, I knew everybody's business. And I've just, it's just always been that way where people just give me all the details and most of which I did not even ask for, but (laughs) (laughs) that is just my life. And maybe that's why I like turn to, therapy and psychology because I was like okay well maybe this is my little lane or something because um I it I mean it could literally be in a, a Lyft driver and I will know your whole life story and people just give it to me and I hold space and I keep it no one else knows what you told me um and so I was like okay <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> It's it's amazing how I don't I don't know if it's like in 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 the eyes or in the smile or I don't know but some people are they just see you and they just like spill their guts their their deepest darkest secrets and I'm like I I didn't ask you that mm-hmm. but, but I'm okay. here and I'm I must be here at this moment and then what I realize is that sometimes people just need somebody to listen to them. And so that's when I stopped being like, and I never was like super annoyed by it, but I was just kind of like more confused than anything. Like, why, why am I privy to this information, stranger, or, you know, a person that I asked just one question and now we are into a whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes people like just need to talk about it, whatever the it is. And so I'm like, okay. And I listen well and I'm able to just be there and, and, I guess that's part of my role in existence on earth, which is <laughs> Yeah. I I mean I think if I if I'm gonna get a little philosophical on it a little bit, um, I think it's part of how our society deems topics of sexuality and relationships to be taboo. And that creates a lot of burden in the people, in any person where you're like, I have all these thoughts, these feelings, these conflicts in my head. And unless they're going to therapy, which everybody should go to therapy, but unless they're going to therapy, they really have no one to just talk it out loud Mm -hmm. and explain like I have been feeling this whatever this is and I don't understand that feeling so they 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 need someone to talk to and the moment that they see someone like you that is very receptive and they don't and you don't hold judgment for them then they're like I can let go of what I'm holding on to so so tightly and just get a, a little bit of a breathing room Yeah, I wonder if we had a society that was more open about talking about these topics in in a more general sense. Um, Maybe there wouldn't be a need to hold on to those feelings Mm -hmm. and then explode and do a verbal like tsunami on somebody else. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, you know, you and you said this, like the non-judgment of it. 
is really important to me. And I think that's why I'm able to hold space for a lot of people because I'm not going to judge you. You could be into literally anything and I'm going to be like, okay, tell me more about that. I'm okay. You know? Um, And that's super important, especially since we were just talking about like how people were raised and, you know, in my research, I'm actually a part of like um, how I do research is actually interviewing people. And so to hear people's stories and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're like elements that just are through everybody. A lot of people's stories where they just didn't feel comfortable being themselves or they didn't have the language around it. So they didn't know how to navigate it. And they didn't really have a trusted space to ask questions, which I think is very important for everybody, not just young people, you know, um, mm-hmm. A lot of people ask, okay, so what does this mean? So, okay, if I do this, then what is this? And And I'm like, okay, well, let's break this down, you know. And people just need that because we try to simplify things that aren't so simple, um, which is identity, which is sexuality and all of these things. And, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of taboo or just, the fear of the unknown or something different or, you know, um, for example, I think I saw on Facebook, which is, you know, can be the pit of hell sometimes, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, everybody, everybody's gay now or everybody's, you know, trying to be different. And I'm like, mm, no, as long as people have been peopling, there have always been all kinds of people, period. <laughs> right. And so, Absolutely. Now we have language to put around those things. And Mm -hmm. then also have people who don't want a label or language at all. And they are still, you know, valid and should be able to live their lives however they want to. So, um, yeah, people just don't like what they don't know sometimes. And I think that's where all of that, whatever that is, comes from. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of of the others. Oh, there's being gay, being being trans, being queer in general is a new thing, and I just point them to the history books and go like, this person was gay, this person was trans, this person was queer in some way or fashion. We don't know how because there was no language back then. But queer folks have always existed, and it's just either we lost that to history or it was never mentioned because the language was different. So we may see a, a word describing a person um, that right now in, in our generation or in our lifetime, we never use, but back then that was the way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, one that comes to mind and I'm, and I think I got this right. Uh, I may need to go back on the notes. Um, Friends of Dorothy. Mm. And that was a way to describe mostly men that Mm -hmm. were gay or somewhere in the not straight spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was talking to to my partner about that. We saw it on on a show not that long ago on Netflix. And he was asking me like, oh, what does that mean? And I told him like, that means that that character that was in the 50s, I think, Mm -hmm. is gay. And obviously the only way to do it was by saying they were friends of Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And there was a big government um, 
there was a big government investigation trying to find who Dorothy was because the the people that were now part of the gay community were like, who is this Dorothy? And should we be concerned about Dorothy? (laughs) I'm like, I'm sure you have 18 other things that you could be worried about. You know, this is definitely not at the top of your priority list, but you know, for some people it is. Um, but yeah, no, that's a great example. That is a great example. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But um yeah, so I, I do think that there's always space for us to learn and grow, but we have to be willing to do that. And then I think that people, because they are nervous or scared or, you know, um they have to know that they they're safe in exploring other things or they're safe in being curious about other things. And I think a lot of times we get locked into whatever, whatever we see on porn or just the movies or what we were told that this is what men do. This is what women do. And we just stay there, you know, without figuring out, is this what I even really like? Or is there another version of what I like? You know, so I think a lot of times we get stuck, um, which is unfortunate. But uh, for people who get sassy with me, I'm like, well, Google is always open and it's free. Please get to work. (laughs) Because (laughs) if you are going to willingly be ignorant, then that's why I have to get off the train. Because if I'm, you know, if you really have a question, then I'm here for it. If you are trying to debate me just for the sake of debate, I was not on the debate team, nor will I join it. So we're not going to do that. You know, (laughs) we're just not Um, because it's just you're this is where you are. And I just have to leave you there. And Mm. that's, you know, that's why I have to. (laughs) That's my attitude towards it. Yeah. Yeah. Contentious for the sake of being contentious is Mm -hmm. not helpful because. Mm -hmm. If they're not open open to to changing their minds, then what's the point of having a conversation? Yeah, or at least seeing a different perspective because, like, nobody's trying to turn you anything, right? Just because it exists, it's not against you. Right. And so that's the part I think people are missing. Like, that person over there, like, do they... I'm, I'm confused. Are they paying your bills? Like, what is the connection that you're suppressed <laughs> about what somebody else is doing in their own house, in their own lives? So I think that's what gets anno- I get annoyed by. Like, I do not care what anybody else does at any point. Are you safe? Is everybody involved want to be there? If so, you like it. I love it. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, it... But unfortunately, not everybody is just thinks that way. And, you know, I feel like a lot of times we create issues where there really isn't an issue. And so that's why I get really irritated. I'm like, what is, why are we mad? Did I miss the meeting on why we're mad? You know, but yeah. Missed the memo of the madness missed, of the week. I missed that email. I, I missed that email. Right. Yeah. Um, but you did bring up a really good point, um, and I'm going to tie it back to your uh, dissertation of 
allow people to explore and make mistakes and learn from their mistakes. And that's something that as, as a minority group, it's very difficult um, to do because when you walked out of the house, like you say, you're representing your family, you're representing your, your community as well. So when you make a mistake, as any human would, sometimes it's held against your whole community. And, and that's a space that you're not given and you need it to yeah. grow. Yeah, absolutely. And we see this in part of my research is about how those stereotypes or, you know, those themes that are placed or those, those things that are placed on us, how they still show up today. And so I talk about media a little bit and how like Black um, female sexual stereotypes pull up in, in different um, media. And then if I'm teaching this, I'll ask people to actually think about where they've seen these things. And so just to make it very clear, like, this is not gone. It's still here. Here is where you can see it, you know? And you are going to tell me where you see it um, after I tell you the different stereotypes and whatnot. And so it it will take a concerted effort by everybody, both, you know, people of the global majority. Um, that's how I say my formerly known as minority groups. I say people of the global majority. Because most of the people on earth are brown. Um, <laughs> so people of the global majority. Um, I saw that on Facebook. I was like, oh my goodness. That's true. It was one of those <laughs> aha moments. So Facebook is not always trash. I learned this new term. And I was like, I'm going to start using that. But um, yeah, just how how it still shows up today and what we can do to kind of dismantle it or challenge it. You know what I mean? Um, because I do think it's important to challenge these narratives. Um, and even if you have those stereotypes, like what are you going to do with that character? Are you going to like do the same thing that's always been done? Or are we going to interact with this character or this stereotype in a different way? And so I think it's really important to be mindful of how we just accept things mm -hmm. and how we just like, oh, that's just how it is. Well, can it be different? Probably, you know, so. Yeah. How can we collectively make a meaningful change? Yeah. So there is, there is space for individuals to have their individuality just we're not all the same people. We each one of us, even even within our own towns, each one of us, because our family nucleus was different, then our personalities are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. We have a general culture that is similar, um, right. depending on, on which group we're talking about. But in general, we should be allowed to be an individual and grab things and, and have behaviors and, and parts of our personalities that could or could not match a stereotype. Exactly. I love the, yeah, I love the example of going back to my own experiences because that's how I see the world through my own lens mm -hmm. um, of the, the Latina woman that is hypersexual. And I remember in college rebelling against that by being the complete opposite, turning myself into basically a tomboy, which is, there's not a bad thing about that, except that it wasn't me. 
Right. I, I, I still am a very sexual and sexy person, but I rejected all of that because that was the stereotype. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, and it took me until I was in my thirties to realize I can be sexy and sensual and hot without mm-hmm. being the stereotypical hot, sexy Latina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the space that we need. Yeah, it's the space. And it's it's interesting that you say that because I'm thinking back through my own experiences and some of my friends in our 20s and in college and how some people like really did completely reject that and took, you know, like you said, let me, what is the exact opposite? So let me present that way so I don't get any harassment, unwanted attention, you know, people thinking things about me and all of that. And you do see it um, even now. And I know there's this push against like street harassment. There are different coalitions and different groups and things like that. And a lot of it is just based solely on how you present. You're a black woman, you're a Latina woman, and you step outside, somebody might you know, say something inappropriate just because of how you present. So you do see people intentionally changing how they dress, changing how they walk, the places they go. They may not even go to all the places that they may want to go because of these things. And so it's really unfortunate um, that people have to tailor how they exist in the world, you know, just because of these things. And it's not even your fault. Like you didn't, you know, you showed up in the world and that's just how you showed up. But then now there's a group of people who just because of who you are, now they've got a list of things that you just must be because of how you exist in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a struggle. Um, Yeah. Because maybe you are one of those things. Maybe you're the complete opposite. But once a person assumes that stereotype against you, then you become this one layer person instead of the beautiful 3D human that we all are. Right. Somehow we separate our, somehow we separate people's sexuality from like the, totality of a person and I don't know how we stretch our minds to do that as if you know like you said if someone is a sexual person and they are open open about it then there are all these things that come with it but it's just like okay no they're sexual and 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 because we're not we're not just one layer of a person no one is you know even the quote-unquote simplest person who just you know hey I'm just chilling I'm just existing they still have layers too um so it's just it's just really interesting to see how we pull that one piece out and then that's all you see and I can think of several examples like even when WAP came out with um Cardi B and um Megan Thee Stallion and you know you think about that song or you think about their personality, like their show personalities, but like Cardi B's a mom. That's a whole identity that she has. Right. And Megan Thee Stallion's a student. Like she's in college. I don't know if she's graduated. Um, 
I'm not really hip and I don't keep up with pop culture. So I'm always like <laughs> at least five years behind. But at the time of what I know is, you know, Megan Thee Stallion's a college student. So like, are we discussing that? You know, these people are business people. They have endorsements. They have other things happening. But like, if you say Cardi B or you say um, Megan Thee Stallion, you might automatically go to twerking or automatically go to, you know, their song. But because they express themselves and they say, hey, I do like to have sex. Here's how I like to have sex. And just so y'all know, you know, then that's all people see, but we don't get underneath the layers. And I think we do that, not just to celebrities, we do that to, you know, people we know, people we happen to meet as well. So um, I just want to challenge people to just like, look a little deeper, ask more questions, you know, um, because there's always more there. There's always more there. Yeah, exactly. Um, Talking a little bit more about the general sexuality and how reproductive, let me say that word again, Mm -hmm. reproductive rights (laughs) are different. Oh my goodness. Um, How reproductive rights are, or access to reproductive rights are different depending on the community. Um, I think that that was part of what we were talking about at the beginning or on the pre-screening. So I was wondering if there's like, go ahead. I interrupted you. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I thought I was interrupting you. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, and I did some research around um, reproductive rights of Black women. And I think at the time, I just didn't know how. Like, you know, the foundation of the United States and like, it's a trash foundation and like, it's just, you know, yeah. You, call, you know, and I'm like, if anybody hears this and you want to call me unpatriot, um, whatever, like, it's fine. I'm really unbothered. But like, history is history. And so when you think about reproductive rights, and you know, I focus on black women. And so you think about enslavement, you think about birthing the babies of these um, plantation owners, Um, not having consent and autonomy over your own body, Um, being the gynecological guinea pigs of J. Marion Sims, who's known as the father of modern gynecology. And all of these things that we use now were built on the backs of these enslaved women who did not have choices. And so I feel like if people start there, then hopefully they will think differently. Often we do not. So then I keep talking and I talk about um, the eugenics movement and forced sterilization of black and brown women. And, you know, and there are several documented cases. This is not just me just talking, like literally go to Google (laughs) (laughs) and just put in forced sterilization, black women, forced sterilization, Latino women. It's going to come up. Indigenous women, it's going to come up. And so, You think about these things and that has generational effects. And I think that even though I don't particularly feel like I have to deal with that, um, I also have privilege in that um, I have enough money to care for my needs. I have health insurance. I like I even recognize my own privilege in that space. 
when in the greater world, I don't have as much privilege as a lot of other people. So I think it's also important to check your privilege at every stage. And, you know, I'm an academic, I have enough education. So like, there's a lot of there's a lot of lenses that I look through. I look through my own lens as a Black woman and how we're treated in the medical system. But then I also look at it from someone who can go to doctor's appointments. And what about if I couldn't? Or, you know, just, I mean, there's just so many ways that you can look at this. And so I think about all of these different stages in life. I think about even like the feminist movement and how you hear black women say, I'm a black feminist. And they say that intentionally because the feminist movement was not built for anybody, but white women, the suffrage movement, the word suffrage makes my skin itch because I'm like it at its foundation, those people like, yes, they move right to head for women, but they did not intend for women like you Vima, or for me to to, you know, we weren't included in, in that initial thought process. And so yeah. it took extra effort by, you know, Latino women, Black women, Indigenous women, Asian women to form your own councils within that larger umbrella to even get a say. Um, so I feel like all of these things work together um, when we're talking about... Um, these reproductive rights. And even now, you know, there's all of these things going on with abortion rights and other reproductive rights issues. And it's just an ongoing battle. You have people making decisions who have never had to consider any of the consequences, any of the um, outcomes of, you know, either pregnancy or just anything. So it's just, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of, it's yeah. a lot of like, you know, finding balance because you can fall into this pit of despair because if it, there's so many days I feel like everything is terrible. Everybody is terrible. What are we even doing here? You know, um, but you have to carve out those moments where you're like, okay, there's a glimmer of hope somewhere. It's gotta be. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very difficult to stay optimistic when you start, especially if you start researching um, on on this topic alone. Like you mm. mentioned, so many things, and there's a laundry list behind it that we could go yeah. on and on. Um, <laughs> the the studies for the contraceptive pill and how that was done yep. using Latina women as guinea pigs without yep. their consent and yep. And I remember my aunts, my older aunt talking about La Operacion, the operation mm -hmm. um, that happened all the way to the 70s and 80s in the island um, where it was not informed medical consent when they went in and did sterilization. So for our listeners, this is not think these are not things that happened a hundred years ago or 150 years ago. We're talking about the seventies. Right. The seventies were like around the corner and I'm pointing and no one can see me pointing, <laughs> but they were like not that far away. Yeah. We have a lot of people that were alive. Our parents, most of the, most of them were alive at 
on the 70s. Our grandparents were definitely alive in the 70s. Yeah, my parents were in college in the 70s. Yeah. My sister was born in the 70s. Like, this is not, like you said, some far-fetched, far away. Like, that's when we talk about all of these different things, reproductive rights, civil rights. And there's been this push to colorize these pictures from those moments, especially like in civil rights. Because when you black and white a picture, it makes it feel like it was much further back, right? Right. When you colorize that thing, you're like, oh, wait, yeah. It kind of puts you into perspective because, you know, I think about all of these studies that I read about and I'm like, oh, wow, my parents were like little kids when this happened, you know? So it puts it into perspective for me or like, oh, Wow, because my I I still have my my granddad on my um dad's side. He's in his eighties, and so like that's a lot of life, right? And so I'm like, oh wow, granddad was like a teenager when this happened. Wow. Mm-hmm. So for me, it makes it like, oh, this is right now. <laughs> this is like yeah. happening now, right? So there's yeah, still even a lot of work to be done, and it's it, it's not as far back as we think. Yeah, yeah, and and things are happening. Let's say to our generation, where the Studies after studies have shown that mortality rates in Black women that are given birth are so much higher than any other demographic. And that shows to the lack of reproductive rights for Black folks. And that is something that obviously needs to be fixed, but that is such a big thing that needs to be fixed from the study, how gynecological studies are done to all the way to obstetricians and nurses in the whole medical system. It's, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And it's so intertwined that it feels like it can't be untangled sometimes because of the layers and the different communities and, you know, professions or whatever that are involved in a thing. And so like I did this, um, sexual health leadership course with like, I think it's like the American Medical Student Association or something. And I am not in medical school, but they allowed, you know, some sexuality professionals in. And they were saying how they do this specifically because in med school, there isn't like a lot of classes around sexual health or sexuality. And I'm like, that's interesting. Um, Didn't know that. But it makes sense. You know what I mean? Um, So and I know med students and doctors have to go through a lot to become doctors. And also, why are we skipping over sexual health or why are we skipping over that part that is very, very, very much involved in everyone's life that everyone at every stage? So, um, yeah, to your point, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's It's a a lot. lot. (laughs) The. The endless optimistic of me, because I will always be like the hopeless optimistic, just says like the only way to tackle this is the same way that you eat an elephant, which is one bite at a time. And if we can make one small change, change the mind of one person or change the outcome to a positive outcome of one situation, then we made one step towards progress so I try to hold on to that when I go in a deep dive of studying things that are happening because it it can get overwhelming yeah it can and you know definitely being a researcher 
I was not ready for half the stuff that I read. I was not prepared. I did not know. And this is my own history, you know? So I think it's important to, you know, you may not be able to find out the personal histories of the people in your family because not, you know, everybody is open or whatever. But um, it is important to just do a little bit more research around, like, where you come from, how you you specifically got here, um, and just kind of looking back through that history, I feel like you will learn a whole lot about yourself. Whether you do anything with that information or not, I think it's worth looking into, into um, if nothing else, to just gain better understanding of yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we're coming up on the top of, of the hour, um, and I want to leave it uh, on a positive note um, as part of my hopeless positivity that <laughs> sometimes plagues me. Um, so I'll start with a random question for you that I'm stealing from Alicia, our executive director. What is the funniest misconception that you had about sexuality growing up? Oh my gosh. Um, misconception. What did I have? I don't know. I feel like that is a really good question. I have no idea. <laughs> it's something I should know because I'm always, you know, challenging other people's misconceptions. And I'm trying to think of like, did I have something that I really thought? I'll let you think while I say yeah, mine because it's the first time. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually on the website once we debut the website. But my misconception was when I was three or four years old, I thought that um, women got pregnant um, when they were cutting the cake of the wedding. Really? Granted, I was three years old. So <laughs> that's the imagination I had. And it's because I attended a wedding where I think it was one of my aunts. I have a bunch of aunts and she mm -hmm. was already pregnant and I couldn't understand why she was already pregnant. Oh. And in my mind, I made the connection because they share the cake and the bride and groom share the cake to each other. And I'm like, oh, that must be how they made the baby. <laughs> that is so sweet. <laughs> I definitely thought if you um, swallowed watermelon seeds that you would um, have a watermelon baby. I definitely did think that. Which, <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I did. So I avoided watermelon seeds at all costs. Um, I was really serious about watermelon seeds. <laughs> I really thought. <laughs> I that definitely was really heard that one before. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. If you swallow watermelon seeds, then you know it's going to be like it planted in the ground or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Imagination of youth, right? <laughs> That's wonderful. All right. So um, with that wonderful story, I have the hot seat section now. Um, as you listeners may remember, we debuted this a couple of episodes ago, and I'm keeping it up because it's a lot of fun. So I'm going to ask you five questions and wrap it to session. And I want the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. All right. First question, Pepsi or Coke? Coke. I'm from Atlanta. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite ice cream flavor? 
Um, peanut butter chocolate chip, specifically gelato from Salenti. Oh, that is good. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. <laughs> um, who is the best Marvel character? Or superhero if you're not a Marvel fan. I love the Marvel Universe. Um, RIP to Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman. Um, probably is my favorite, yeah. King T'Challa. <laughs> yep. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, wrong answer only. Why is there fuss on a tennis ball? <laughs> um, so... So flies can land on it and travel to other the other side of the net. That is just nice. the first <laughs> That was a terrible answer, but that was I the first that. It's okay. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> wonderful. We need to use that one as the sound bite because I love it. Right. <laughs> All right. And last question. What sound does a fox make? <laughs> That's not like a broke down car. I don't know. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for doing that. <laughs> Babe, I'm going to get you. I did not know these questions. <laughs> oh, I know I'm going to pay for these. Uh, but to be fair, I will ask them of everyone that comes into the, okay, the podcast. Uh, you're. <laughs> The third person, uh, if you listen to the previous episode, it was Gwen and she made some wonderful noises too. Oh my gosh. I've got to listen to that one then. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. All right. Uh, so Jolly, thank you so much for joining me. This was wonderful. Um, anything that you want to promote uh, your social, your company? <laughs> Sure, sure. I do own Jolly Co., which is a company that specializes in sex education for adults. And so I'm available um, a little less now that I'm in school, but available for consulting, curriculum development, workshops, classes, guest lecturing, and whatnot. Um, let's see. Upcoming, I will be speaking at the SASH conference um, on my research Um, it's in Seattle, but I will be presenting remotely. Um, that is on the 15th. And then um, otherwise, you can find me on um, social media at Jollyco, which is J-A-A-L-I underscore C-O on uh, both Instagram and Twitter, on Facebook at Jollyco, um, or on my website at um, www.jollyco.com. So. Awesome. Um, so all of you listening right now, go follow her, park the car, and then go follow her um, <laughs> on all social media. She posts wonderful things to Instagram that always make me giggle. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to spoil them here because I want everyone to go and see them. So go see uh, Jali's Instagram. <laughs> It is absolutely hilarious and a lot of really good information throughout the humor. Thank you so much. Also, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. If you have a chest, which is everyone, please, you know, check. Uh, I am a breast cancer survivor, so I do try to plug um, just everyone. Check your chest. Um, and uh, I'll probably post some more things about that um, on Instagram as well, like how to actually check. But um, yeah, 
thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Virgin Territory, a podcast by SHIP, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults. You can visit us online at weknowship.org.